You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. of the difficult things about resolving conflicts. You know, many times I'm asked to serve as a mediator between people who are experiencing this sort of thing. You know, whether it's a broken relationship between, you know, members of our congregation or a broken relationship in a marriage relationship or whatever. There are always two sides to the story. You know, who do you believe, right? You got to hear them out. So this is this is something that's extremely difficult and trying to resolve conflicts and serving as a mediator. Do you work hard to be a peacemaker within your relationships? In today's message from Pastor Mike, he sympathizes with the hard work that it takes to be a mediator. Relationships can be super messy, and it can take a quite deal of energy to keep the peace. However, this is something that as disciples of Jesus, we should be quick to take on. Pastor Mike reminds us that the Bible says to live peaceably with all people, to do your best to keep shining the light and love that's found in Jesus. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 19 as he continues his message, Healing Wounds and Reconciliation. Notice that word there in verse 9, dispute. You see, the dispute was what was best for the nation. Now, when when we're resolving conflicts with another person, I think that foremost in our mind, we need to address the question, what is best for the other person? You see, that's what the elders were considering. What was best for the nation? So when you find yourself in a dispute with another person, and you want to resolve that conflict, you should always be concerned about what's best as it relates to that particular situation or fault. You see that? And so that's what they were, that's what this dispute was all about. Those that they had put their trust in, that is Absalom, had plunged the nation into a civil war. And so now they have to address the question, what? best for the nation. Notice here, according to what is recorded, the people admit their mistake, that is, uh, placing Absalom upon the throne in David's place. They do not deny their responsibility and their sin. They remind each other of David's exploits, you know, all of the victories of David's, like, for example, over the Philistines, and how that he was at least partially responsible for bringing Israel back to the zenith of its uh, glory and all that he had done for the nation. There, notice again in verses 9 and 10. 
You know what's, what's kind of interesting here? They only seem to want David back after they uh, falsely, or, or, or as they had placed Absalom on the throne, and he had failed them. And in the same way, and I want to bring this down to personal terms, in the same way, we often only decide to bring back King Jesus when our false kings fail, fail to bring us satisfaction or fulfillment. Now, what are those kings that we enthrone upon the, in our lives? What may be those kinds of kings? Well, it may be money. It may be power. It may be sex. You know, Alan Redpath, one of my favorite writers, commenting on this particular situation, says, and I quote, The folly of their allegiance to Absalom was clear. It had brought only misery and confusion. They were on the wrong side, that is, Absalom's side. They had rejected their true king, and therefore the situation was full of unrest. Listen, gang, when we fail to keep Jesus upon the throne, you can be sure that the only thing that you will experience will be chaos and unrest as well. So what's the point? Please keep King Jesus upon the throne of your uh, life. Okay, well, after considering all of these things, the elders and the, the people of Israel, they invite David to return as their king. Let's pick up now in verses 11 through 13. So King David went to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, And uh, these guys were going to serve as David's negotiators amongst the people of Israel, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last of all of the tribes? Judah was the last to bring the king back to his house, to make that decision to once again enthrone David as their king, since the word of all Israel have come to the king to his very house. You are my brethren. Remember, David was out of the tribe of Judah. He belonged to the tribe of Judah. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king to make that decision? And say to Amasa, and who was this fellow? He was Absalom's general. So do you see how shrewd David is being here? Notice that again. And say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? So Amasal, although he served as Absalom's general, was also a member of the tribe of Judah, the same tribe that David belonged to. Are you not bone and my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if you are not commander of the army, before me continually in place of uh, Joab. So, As David evaluates all that is going on now, the reports and such, there is a surprising omission. Nothing is expressed by the tribe of Judah. And so he sends the priest to speak to the elders of Judah to convince them to bring David back as their king. And once again, as I've already suggested, remember Judah is David's own tribe. The reason why they were slow to address this subject and to bring David back as king, they probably, uh, most likely, uh, they're extremely embarrassed about having betrayed him. And they probably fear his wrath more than anybody else. Now, to an end, to end this impasse 
And again, here's, here's another way to resolve personal uh, conflicts. Uh, to, an end, to end this impasse, David sends a message to his faithful allies through Zadok and Abiathar. And notice there in verse 11, there's a hint of personal disappointment in his remarks. He didn't expect a Judah to, to you know, act quickly in making that decision. Judah should have been the first to invite his return, but they were the last, according to verse 12. And then very wisely, shrewdly, David chooses this fellow, Amasa, who we were already introduced to as Absalom's general, and now he was going to put him in the place of Joab as the general of his army, David's army. And in doing that, he was showing the people that there would be no punishment for the guilty. So, what do we learn from this? Well, the innocent party will not seek retribution. So again, in your dealing with someone who you've had a broken relationship with, let them know that, they, that you will not, even though you might be the innocent party, you know, in, in this conflict that you're experiencing, let them know that there's not going to be, you're not going to seek any retribution. You're not going to trade evil for evil. You're just going to continue to leave yourself into the hands of him who judges righteously, who is God Almighty. Thus, the result, notice, Judah's fears are done away with, and they ally themselves single-heartedly with David. Now, a side note here, something also I want to draw your attention to. You know, this sudden change, according to our text, over Judah emphasizes the importance of the emotions in the process of reconciliation. I mean, there are all kinds of emotions that are, you know, swirling around us when we're right in the middle of a conflict, when we're dealing with someone, right? All of these emotions are flying, and, and uh, you know, we've been hurt, we've been injured, we feel as if we've been betrayed, and, and uh, people that we've loved have betrayed us. And there are all of these feelings and emotions that we are dealing with. There are fears as well. Well, fear, as well as some of the other emotions that I'm going to mention in just a moment, can cause a blockage between the mind and the emotions. We should never be mastered by our emotions. All of those things can hinder the will from operating as it should, and therefore find forgiveness. In like manner, envy, jealousy, pride, or deceit can shut down the best attempts to bring two people back together. Isn't that true? And so never be mastered by your emotions. Again, just commit yourself into the hands of him who judges righteously. Just slip it on over to the Lord. Let him deal with it. Let him make all of the wrongs right. So, I mean, because you're going to, you know, you're going to hold a grudge against that person, and you'll never reconcile in that relationship. So anyway, David went to the heart of the matter and laid the fears of the people to rest. And notice Judah responded. Because in verses 14 and 15 we read, So he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man. So they were all in agreement, so that they sent this word to the king, Return, you and all your servants. Then the king returned and came to the Jordan River, and Judah, the entire tribe, came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan River here. 
So, as David approaches the Jordan River, Judah and some of the other tribes of Israel assembled at Gilgal. They are probably planning a special coronation, reinstating David as their king. Well, surprisingly, when they arrive at the river, they find that a fellow whose name was Shimei, who we've already been introduced to in one of our previous studies, and 1,000 Benjamites, Shimei was a member of the tribes of uh, the tribe of Benjamin, uh, together with another fellow who we've already been introduced to in one of our previous studies, a fellow whose name was Ziba, chapter 16, and his sons and servants are already there. And they are transporting David and his royal household, uh, household across the river. Notice there in verse 18, the first part of verse uh, 18. Then a ferry boat went across, that is the Jordan, to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought was good. Now, next we have the record of two conversations that are recorded for us between David and this fellow, Shimei, who was a loyal supporter of King Saul. And also, the second conversation is between David and Mephibosheth. And remember, Mephibosheth is Saul's grandson. Actually, he is Jonathan's son. And remember, uh, David, the oath that he had swore to his good friend Jonathan before he perished in one of the uh, battles that he would do right by any of the members of his surviving household. And the only one that remained at that time was Mephibosheth. Remember, Mephibosheth, when he was fleeing the city of Jerusalem, uh, fell, and he had become lame. Do you remember that? In one of our previous studies, we talked about that? Well, anyway, David took Mephibosheth as his own son, and he brought him into the uh, palace, and he treated him as one of his own children, and he ate at the king's table. So keep that in mind. But both of these individuals, Shimei as well as Mephibosheth, illustrate the submission of the descendants of Saul to David's authority. Now, why is this so significant? Well, let's go back to these two conversations. Let's check, let's check out the words that they spoke to one another. First of all, uh, Shimei. And remember, Shimei had good cause to fear. Remember, when we were first introduced to this fellow, when David and his company was fleeing Jerusalem, uh, because of Absalom was on his way to do battle and to kill his father David. This fellow Shimei, as David and his company was fleeing Jerusalem, met him on the way, and he was cursing David. Do you remember that? And he was throwing rocks at David and his uh, company when he was on his way into exile. But now, all of a sudden, he comes pleading for his life. Okay, let's go back to our text the latter part of verse 18 and 19. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. So what's going on here? Shimei is pleading for his life. Now, at the omission of his guilt, Abiashai, 
one of also David's generals, wants to make good his previous offer and send him to join his ancestors. Remember, when they were on their way out of the city of Jerusalem, and this guy's cursing David and throwing rocks at him, this fellow, Abiashai, comes alongside of David and says, who is this guy that's cursing the king? Let me go draw my sword and lop off his head. But remember, David wouldn't have any of that. And so anyway, once again, he suggests that he does that. But notice there in verse 21, But Abiashai, the son of Zariah, and answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. But notice here, according to verse 22, David restrains him from doing that. Verse 22, And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel. So David's not going to hold any grudge against this fellow uh, Shimei. David's words are designed to show that the spirit of the occasion does not call for a bloodshed or getting uh, even. Amnesty is to be given to all who acknowledge his right to rule God's people. Notice again there in verse 22, the latter part of verse 22. Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Now, in verse 23, while Shimei is still bowing before David, David takes an oath. Let's read that in verse 23. Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. Okay, so that's the first conversation. The second conversation is between David and Mephibosheth. It's recorded for us in verses 24 and 25. Let's go ahead and read that. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, rather he's the son of Jonathan, uh, more accurately the grandson of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed, that is from the city of Jerusalem, until the day he returned in peace. So this was emblems of Mephibosheth mourning over what was taking place in David's life. And so it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said to him, now there's, now there's this question, and this is the question that David puts to Mephibosheth, why did you not go out with me, Mephibosheth? I mean, after all, I have done for you. Why did you not ally yourself with me and be a part of that company that went with me out of the city of Jerusalem? Now notice here, Mephibosheth's appearance is evidence of his mourning. And David sees the signs of mourning, but he can't reconcile it with the words of Ziba. And remember Ziba? Back in chapter 16 in verse 3, was suggesting that Mephibosheth, and this was the reason why Mephibosheth uh, didn't travel along with David when he went into exile, leaving the city of Jerusalem. He suggested, Ziba met him though, but Mephibosheth wasn't there uh, with him at that time. And Ziba suggested falsely that Mephibosheth was disloyal to David, that he had aspirations to be king 
in David's place. That he saw this as just a great opportunity for him to ascend to the throne as Saul's, you know, next, actually the only king that was still left. And so therefore he would have ascended to being the next king over Israel. And so David asked this question. But notice the way that Mephibosheth uh, responds. Verses 26 and 28. And he answered, he's answering David now, why he didn't align himself with him when he was fleeing the city of Jerusalem. He says, my Lord, O king, my servant, referring to Ziba and this falsehood that he had told him, he deceived me. For your servant said, Ziba, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame and he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. He told an untruth about me. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore do what is good in your eyes. In other words, and again, going back to this whole, what this message is all about, resolving conflicts, healing for broken relationships. Notice, he just, again, throws himself upon the mercy of uh, David. And he says, therefore, do what is good for your eyes. He's not defending himself. Verse 28, for all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. So Mephibosheth became like a son to David. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So that was his response to David's question. As often happens, you know, just something else that I want to draw your attention to, and I found this to be extremely difficult, and this is one of the difficult things about resolving conflicts. You know, many times I'm asked to serve as a mediator between people who are experiencing this sort of thing, you know, whether it's a broken relationship between, you know, members of our congregation or a broken relationship in a marriage relationship or whatever. There are always two sides to the story. You know, who do you believe, right? You got to hear them out. But this is, this is something that's extremely difficult in trying to resolve conflicts and serving as a mediator. So as often happens, when one is trying to settle differences, you're caught between two people, each with a different story. And you're trying to figure out, you know, who's at fault? Who is true? Who is false? You know, this fellow Ziba, who told this falsehood concerning Mephibosheth, was he actually a friend of David's, or was he just an opportunist? Remember, because when Ziba brought the news back to David concerning Mephibosheth's betrayal, he gave the land that was given to Mephibosheth to Ziba in his place. Do you remember that? So was, was Ziba just truly a friend of David's, or was he an opportunist? In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my heart. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Fenizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. 
You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. And we're praying for you. Thanks again for joining us today. And we look forward to our continuing study of 2 Samuel next time, right here on In My Father's House. There's a place for